What's up, y'all? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we're talking about a bunch of books that have come out this very week. Kicking it off with a big new book from Boom Studios, Seven Secrets, number one, written by Tom Taylor and illustrated by Danielle DiNicolo. Uh, Pete, I want to go to you first because I was very surprised to hear... I think this was your favorite book of the week. Is that right? It really was. Yes. It, it is. It's a it's a great book. I love the art. It's a very interesting idea that there are seven secrets and they are highly guarded secrets and people kind of like dedicate their lives to them. Uh, and there's these kind of like societies built around uh, protecting the secret. I think it's just, just a very creative idea uh, and fun uh, they're amazing art, a lot of action right out of the box. So, yeah, I, I think this is a great book. I'm very excited for more. Uh, yeah, I agree. This is really fun. It re- reminded me a lot of the uh, Iron Fist run that I want to say Matt Fraction did, uh, which dealt with um, the— Yeah, I uh, think that was Fraction and Brubaker, right? Yes, yes, that is that is accurate, which got into— um, the uh, all the different like sort of fighting squads in uh, doing battle throughout all of time. Uh, yeah. And it has that same sort of dynamic art style and um, feels like it's, you know, very numerical. You're chasing very specific things. So I, I really like this. Yeah, yeah, I thought this was great as well. I mean, Tom Taylor is such such a reliable writer and Danielle DiNicolo almost has like this proto- manga style in a way where it feels more detailed than that in terms of the fight, but it, the propulsive nature of the action suggests that a little bit. Um, there's also a really good emotional underpinning that I won't spoil for anybody who's planning on reading the book. My only little quibble with it, it reminds hey, yourself. Hold on. It reminded me a little bit in pacing of wind from boom studios, another book yeah. that we really liked a lot, but both of them felt like, just to take like a very broad view, you know, back in the day, you had these done in one issues, oh, right? And people still go. do aim for done in one issues. Then you had Bendis came along with Ultimate Spider Man and this whole decompression aiming for the trade thing. Both Wind and Seven Secrets, which I both like a lot, remind, seem almost different in a way where it's not decompression for the trade so much as here are the first 20 pages of the story, where they end at places where it's like, not even the end of a chapter exactly so much as it almost feels in the middle of a chapter. And I need to read the second issue to understand more of what's going on. I I don't know if you guys got that same feeling from it. No, I I hear you, especially, um, especially in weird, weird thing to to say. (laughs) No, but I get it from a storytelling perspective. It's like we, we've talked about writing for the trade for almost the entire run of our podcast. And this is taking it to a next letter. It's literally next level. It's like literally writing the trade and then chopping it up with like a butcher's Mm -hmm. knife. And here's the first issue. Yeah. Which is, it's a good first issue and I highly recommend picking it up, but it just, it needs more for me. I don't, yeah, I disagree. I think the ending was, uh, fucking crazy ending and it's a kind of fun place to leave it off until next time it's good it's a good book definitely pick it up that's why we wanted to lead with it next up dark knight's death metal number three from dc comics written by scott snyder and art by greg capullo talk about wild this is a wild ride through the dc universe the heroes of the dc universe are being completely beaten down by the batman who laughs who is now 
the Dark Knight, I think he's called. The dark Darkest Knight. Darkest Knight. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, because he has Dr. Manhattan powers, uh, they're trying to stave off the death of the multiverse as usual, as you do. Uh, and so they've invaded Apocalypse to go and rescue Superman in this issue. Some other things happen. How'd you feel about this? Now, this is just a fun comic. Like, you know, by the title, it's like Dark Knight's Death Metal. Like, let's take this, what we know and love, and just turn it to 11. You've got Para Robins. You've got, like, insane, crazy ideas. Everything is fun and over the top about this. You've got Superman with, like, knuckle dusters on. I mean, this is just crazy fun that, like, you know, just makes your the young kid inside of you excited about what you're seeing on the page. Uh, the way you even um, structure your review, Pete, reminds me of Stefan on SNL, which is actually sort of a good description of this book, <laughs> where it's like, you want to go to the craziest nightclub in the DC universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've got Batman uh, dinosaurs. Uh, yeah. You've got a, yeah. a, a dwarf riding a, another Batman. And that's literally what this is. It's like... A million ideas jammed up in a blender and spread out uh, over uh, a crisis-style storyline. And I like it as well. It's like they took a hammer to the Elseworlds annual crossover from, like, the late 90s, smashed up all those bits, jammed them together, and were like, this is an event we're actually going to spend some time in. And this issue especially I thought was super fun. All the Superman stuff was great. The Mr. Miracle escape, all that. I, I, yeah, the, mis- the use of Mr. Miracle is amazing. The dark side Batman was crazy. Uh, like seeing Wonder Woman with like a metal ass chainsaw was just so badass. I could do with a few less Batman. Let me just say that. Yes, it is. We're reaching critical mass with Batman. And I think they even kind of realized that to the point where Holly Quinn is like, man, he's really good with branding and just calling that out. So and I yeah. think like that's. That's the sort of cheeky self-awareness that makes this work because it's Scott Snyder realizing how ludicrously over the top it is, everything that's going on and leaning into that versus saying, no, 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 this is serious stuff here. Okay, there's a lot of Batman. It doesn't feel the stakes are high, but it doesn't feel serious at any point. And I think that's good. Like that gets into one of my favorite characters from Scott Snyder's run. We get uh, Jaro, the pint-sized star. Yeah. is his dad. It's great. It's super it's so fun funny. and cute. Uh, that's enjoyable. I do want to ask you guys. The all hands in moment was fun. Super fun. Um, I did feel like this uh, issue was a little more expository than I would have liked. There was a lot of standing around and being like, okay, real quick, here's what we need to do. And here's what's going on. This is complicated. I'm just going to bring you up to speed in in between the fun moments. Uh, But there was a hint that there's something else going on with both Batman and Superman, where they turn to each other in the middle after they freed Superman. And I think it's Superman says, does Diana know about you? And Batman says, no, does she know about you? So what do you think is going on with him? What is the deal? I don't know. That moment, it stressed me out a little bit because it, to me, not to uh, be the Pete in the situation, but it it made me feel like it's going to be like, did you tell her that this is all a simulation that's happening? Uh, No, I didn't tell her. Did you? Like, it it felt like a, a too cool for school secret that I don't want to disrupt the flow just when I'm really getting into the flow of the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see something like that. I mean, my big thought is that Batman is already dead 
that he died. That's why he's running around with a black lantern ring. That's why he was able to escape the Omega beams uh, that hit him from the dark side Batman. I don't know what Superman's secret is, but to me that feels like the most reasonable thing that could happen to him. And that would be sad for Diana because they essentially have already lost. Well, but like this is a, it sort of exists in the dark multiverse. So it's the flip flop of everything. So I, maybe that's the the win, the fact that they're already dead or there's there's something where it's going to be something emotionally with emotional resonance like them being dead. But that is actually the victory they find or the mm-hmm. loophole they escape through. I mean, I think you kind of just said this, but what if the whole thing is in the dark multiverse? What if they're not in the real multiverse at all? But this is just where the heroes have lost already. And this is the flip side of the story to show them the way that things could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. I mean that, that to me, cause all this hype about like, this is the real continuity. I'm like, I don't I don't, I don't need that. Like I, this is just as good a story if it takes place in the dark multiverse. But I think what emerges from that, I guess is what the lesson is. Is, are we going to get this Superman in the world or some version yeah. of these characters? Uh, good fun stuff. Moving on. Something is killing the children. Number nine from Boom Studios, written oh, by James yeah. Tyne of the Fourth, illustrated by Werther Dildaria. Uh, if you haven't been reading this book, something is killing the children. It's a bunch of monsters. They like to eat children. And there's one woman who may or may not be able to stop them. In this issue, she is trying to appeal uh, to a young boy who has previously been attacked by the monsters to try and act as bait for them. Man, uh, this book is so good, so well-drawn, so well-written. This is almost the opposite of what I was saying with Seven Secrets, where it's like not a lot happens every issue, but it feels so weighted every single time. Yeah, there's just a creeping dread all the time, and we get little dribs and drabs of backstory each time, and it's really interesting and also really horrifying the stuff that happens. The adults yeah. feel like they're crippled and stuck in place the entire time. There's a whole section about like, I'm just handing out beers cause I don't know what else to do while the kids are either being murdered or trying to act against these monsters. And the sort of reveal at the end is interesting and maybe spins the story in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, this is a very interesting comic. Each uh, issue has been a fun surprise of like what's kind of in store. Um, I in this one we kind of get her backstory, the the main kind of hunter's backstory, and it's it's very cool the way it's told. I really love the paneling and the art of this book. It's just very unique and cool, and uh, I think uh, this is one of my favorites in the stack. It's really great every time we get to read this. I agree. Let's move back to Marvel for Empire Number no. 5, story by Dan Slott and Al Ewing, written by Al Ewing, art by Valerio Shidi. Uh, and when I say move back to Marvel, this is the first time we're talking about Marvel in the stack. I thought that was another <laughs> one. Uh, so this is the second to last issue of Empire, Marvel's big events, which is plants versus zombies. Uh, in this... The Kotati, a plant race, has been attacking Earth. They want to take over Earth and the entire universe. The Kree and Skrull are trying to stop them. Uh, But in the middle of all of that, Hulkling has been led 
has been leading the Kree and the Skrull armies, except not really. There's actually somebody masquerading as him. Wiccan, who secretly married him, figured that out the last issue. That's where we pick up this issue with both that and the fact that She-Hulk, who has been taken over by one of these plant creatures and is supposedly dead, is attacking the thing. Um, So lots of stuff going on here. As we round up this event, how are you feeling about it? Well, this issue, I'm like, all right, now things are happening. Like, things are really cooking now. I feel like I'm just starting to get into this event. Um, but this was a great issue. A lot happened. It's, it's sad that we didn't address the She-Hulk stuff yet. But uh, I feel like this had a great amount of kind of like story mixed with action and the, the weight of everything happening. Uh, I really like this issue. I like this issue, too. It really is... I'm so surprised it's ending already. It does feel like yeah. it's just ramping up. It feels so short to go right into the final movement right here. I really like that they folded in um, the the wedding uh, between Hawkling and Wiccan yeah. as sort of a main story point. Like, that feels really good. But I feel like I need two more issues to really uh, elevate the stakes. And is if the She-Hulk death is like the whole thing here, it's like, I don't know. It feels a little disjointed. It's uh, I oh so I'm sorry. Oh, all I was going to say this struck me over the past couple of issues, but it really started to hit me with this one. And I know this isn't a TV show, so this is the wrong term. But there's not enough sets in this uh, book. Huh. Like it takes place. Weird. It takes place on the alien ship mostly, where they really haven't re- left the throne room that Hulkling is in. And then there's a couple of blips of other places that they go to that mostly seem motivated by what's happening in the spinoffs and side stories. So we get a bunch of stuff at Wakanda, but it's more like, here, here's an overview of what's happening in other places. And then Tony Stark and Reed Richards are just hanging out at Avengers Mountain and putting together a suit. So like you guys are saying, every issue of this is good and fun. Dan Slott and Al Ewing know what they're doing. Valeria Shidi's art is very good superhero art, but there's not a lot going on, which is surprising. Yeah. So for, first off, I want to say I'm sorry Wakanda's not enough for you. But uh, secondly, I hey, love... what can you what can to do uh, about that? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyways... Up. Uh, I really love the thing stuff in here like this, like when you come when you're talking about like a classic fight and this whole thing about giving up. I thought that was a perfect kind of like monologue for the thing to have. And I really thought it was a cool, badass moment. Yeah, I agree. The thing stuff is good. The character stuff is good. Like I was saying, it's well written. It's well drawn. I just want a little more out of a big cosmic event. Yeah, of course, the small moments are great, and you would expect that out of these writers. But, like, when you think about the great epic crossovers, like Infinity Gauntlet, like, every issue, a massive event happened, and you really felt the movement in the book. And to your point, Alex, there aren't a lot of sets. The movement has been very small, and you want those big sweeping moments. Like, remember that, I want to say, fifth issue of Infinity Gauntlet, when all of the beings of the universe showed up and it was like, holy shit, it felt huge. And this feels small. It's maybe part of it is the name. Like they've been selling it as this big event that they've been building up for a while. They call it empire. And so far the Kotati haven't done anything like they, they're trying to take over earth, but we don't get to actually see them really taking over earth. Like not to armchair write this, but I want to see them, 
take over Earth in issue one and then expand outward from that? Like, what happens next? How, what happens when they start to actually take over the universe? Make this a big thing. And it just, I don't know, it feels small. Wahapi. Wahapi. Dryad number four from Odie Press, written by Curtis Weeby and illustrated by Justin Osterling. We mentioned this on the live show, but we are setting up an interview with the creative team. So check for that in your local comic book club feed. Uh, but this book is great and wild every issue. We've talked about it as the heir to saga very purposely. I think in the promotional materials, they call it the saga continues for uh, the next issues. Uh, but if you haven't Smart. been reading it, it uh, started off as a fantasy story. It's about a, two parents take their kids, hide out in a fantasy-style town. Turns out it's not really a fantasy world. It's actually a tech world with some fantasy-looking creatures. Magic has disappeared, except the dad actually has magic. And last issue, they got picked up by a mercenary team and taken back to the city that they had fled from. That's where they had this issue. Things go terribly wrong from there. Um I I just don't know what this book is from issue to issue, and I love that. I love it. Yeah, it's mixing up a lot of stuff um, in a good way, though. It's moving through it very specifically in a in a smart way, so you, I'm totally on board with it. Um, the Saga comparison is great. I, we've made that. I think the uh, it also reminds me of Ascender and Descender um, mm-hmm. as well, uh, the image book, um, because it is blending that science and magic uh, worlds. Yeah, I just think it's uh, it's very uh, interesting the way each issue is so different. Uh, this one is very action packed and a lot of uh, crazy stuff going on. So it's very it's very cool when you pick up a book and you think you're like you have an understanding of it and it still re- surprises you. Yeah, good stuff. Let's move on to The Flash 759 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Rava Sandoval and Scott Collins. This is kicking off Finish Line, which is technically Joshua Williamson's, I believe, last arc on The Flash, something that he teased way back when he was on our live show. Uh, So this is something he's been building to for a really long time. Reverse Flash, Professor Zoom has taken over Barry Allen's body stranded him in the speed force. And meanwhile, he's trying to turn all of his friends against him. I know you guys aren't really into the speedsters. I of course enjoyed this issue because I love the speedsters love Bart Allen, like seeing him interacting with Barry and everybody else. Um, what'd you guys feel about this one? Well, I felt like, uh, we had, uh, the arts unbelievable. And then we had like an evil flash, Messing with a younger, big-haired Flash, and then old, old-timey Flash was like, "Leave them damn kids alone." Oh, that was great! What a great cliffhanger! Yeah, what a great summary of the book. Almost like a live <laughs> reading of it. Um, Alex, as such a fan of the Speedsters, have you? Uh, does this make you like do like wind sprints, or does this make you like try to speed up in your own life? I never stop moving when I read this book. Like I'm just wow. I'm going, going, going the entire time. Always on your treadmill that doesn't travel through time. You're very terrestrial. My, my comic <laughs> treadmill instead of Ah, that's one. good stuff. Oh, boy. Um, I like this. I love Impulse. Um, one of my favorite uh, characters in the original comic way back in the day. Um, so it's great to see him here and sort of getting a little bit of an emotional moment, which I think is something that's been missing from the character of Bart Allen for a while. Um, and it's uh, sad to see... Barry Allen being such a jerk. 
Yeah, there you go. Next up, Adventure Man number three from Image Comics, written by Matt Fraction, pencils and colors by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson. Uh, this is about a woman who discovers that the old-timey uh, pulp hero she loves and obsessed with was actually real. She becomes the heir to his power and his mysteries and everything else. Uh, and this issue, she's dealing with that in some very weird ways. As it turns out, she's just getting real buff and larger uh, and getting information that is powered by the pulp stories that powered Adventure Man. Uh, this is great. Like, I love seeing Matt Fraction just having fun and also clearly just leaning into letting the Dodsons do their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one. I mean, if you're going to say it's, you know, the art is worth picking this up alone. I mean, this if is I was going to say that, Pete, if anybody was going to uh, say if any one saying. of the three of us were to hypothetically <laughs> say that, I'll, yeah. I'll, let's call it a catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's the story is good, but really uh, it's just fantastic art. And uh, very, it's so weird the way we're kind of jumping between worlds and stuff. But uh, I'm very interested in this story. I think it, it moves really well. And we're kind of finding things out with the main character, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this uh, kind of unfolds. Uh, the main character grows 15 inches um, in her, her time. And what would happen if you guys, one of you or both of you, grew 15 inches? Whew. I would probably scratch against the ceiling, first of all, in this basement <laughs> where I'm taping right now. That's right, because you're already 6'2", right? Yeah, I'm very tall, as you guys know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you have grown this much. We don't even know. I don't know. Uh, that would probably hurt a lot, right? Like, uh, Justin, you probably know this, but when my kids grow, they go crazy. Like, yeah, legitimately insane. Yeah, when children grow, they scream the entire time, right? That's yeah, what's happening with my kids. <laughs> uh, Pete, if you grew, you'd be mad, though, because you I like to be Wolverine-sized. Yeah, I like to be short, but I would say if I would have grown 15 inches, maybe like during high school, that would have been glorious. Really could have changed my volleyball career. Too Who many knows? inches. Too many inches. I don't like it. Also, I'd like to a longer definition of volleyball career eventually, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's cool for now. Uh, <laughs> I like this comic a lot. I think um, we've given sort of the uh, the crown of cleanest ad comic to a TV or movie adaptation uh, to Kieran Gillen's Once in Future. I think we can uh, share that crown with this book. It feels like very much a uh, writing it for the um, the eventual, eventual TV or TV show or movie that this would become. Yeah, and Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick have that TV production arm, Neutral Bill Coltail, or whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> oh, so hipster slam, hipster slam. <laughs> yeah, got you guys. No, I love you. I think you're amazing. You had me over your house once. It was very nice. Marauders number 11 from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Dugan and art by Stefano Caselli. Uh, the Dugs. This is, ah, oh, man, this cover, man. So nervous with this cover. You know, I love yeah. the Kitty Pride, man. I was real nervous, yeah, man. man. I was really freaking out. I was tweaking here. It's game over, man. Game over, man. So the Kitty Pride was killed off a couple of issues back by Sebastian Shaw on a boat. She wasn't coming back. She wasn't allowed in Krakoa. They couldn't uh, reincarnate her in a new body. That's what this issue is dealing with. I'll spoil it right here. Three, two, one. 
Kitty Pride comes back. They figure out how to get her back. It turns out that she wasn't able to phase through their eggs, and all Emma needs to do is pull her through. And I'll tell you what, I love that Jerry Dugan is pushing the frenemyship or whatever you want to call it between Emma Frost and Kitty Pride. So much fun. I'm glad she's back. I know there's more mysteries to figure out, but this is a good book. I enjoyed it. I got some questions. Yeah, what up, Pete? Uh, so we get kind of, she has like a Viking funeral. Uh, mm-hmm. do they purposely kind of make her look like uh, Michael Jackson, uh, in, in the, in the boat or is that just me? Like it was well, a weird choice you, where she has like the, the kind of red jacket and then the, you know, the quarters over her eyes or half dollars. Oh yeah. Like how Michael Jackson always had half dollars over his eyes. No, but I mean, it looks like a Michael Jackson outfit. Maybe like Captain EO? Yeah, maybe I'm just, oh, uh, maybe okay. it's just me. But anyways. Well, um, let me argue, maybe, maybe say, Pete, I feel like maybe you're looking, because it's an X-Men book, you're maybe looking for something to, uh, I believe it's called nitpick. Oh, interesting. Or Pete pick? Yeah. Is that what we should? Uh, uh, you know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, so we see a funeral, and then it's like immediately like, no, no. It was just the... Uh, we didn't figure out the eggs part right, which, okay, cool, cool. But then uh, there was this weird moment where it was like, yeah, it took 18 eggs. Oh, so she's 18 now? Like, that was a weird pervy no, no, moment. No, oh, hold on, hold on. You were, first of all, A, definitely misinterpreting that, but I did want to ask about that moment uh, just because it's, Nightcrawler calls out that they tried to resurrect her 18 times. I did a quick search for that because it seemed to me that was like some sort of religious thing that I wasn't picking up on. I couldn't find anything on it. I don't know if you guys know if there's anything from uh, non-Judaism. I wanted to say Christianity or Catholicism, uh, but something that is about 18 resurrections. Is there anything about that? Not no, not that I know. That's why I thought it was something about her age or something. Because she's no, it's not been about younger. the age. It's definitely about like the eighteen resurrections. So I don't know if it means that there's like eighteen Kitty Pride bodies out there that Nightcrawler is going to find, or if that is a specific reference to something. It was definitely a weird moment, but it was not a creepy age moment. Okay, well, it's definitely a weird moment that stuck out to me. I would say we're not the most. Um... Uh, theological uh, podcast hosts when it comes to sure. uh, doing a deep dive on a uh, religious pizza reference. priest though pizza priest no pizza pizza priest hey pizza yeah, priest yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a pizza priest I'm not a regular priest nice um, I don't know the reference um, I did like this book I like I liked the position Kitty Pride had on the X Men world where she was. Uh, sort of outsided and not allowed. It was a good mystery. Um, I don't know if that's over now or what the deal is going forward, but uh, I think this book is a fun sort of side book to the X-Men universe right now. Yeah, I agree. And Stefano Caselli's art is always good. Let's move on to Judge Dread False Witness number two from IDW story by Brandon Easton, art by Zay Kama, uh, K. Zama, excuse me. Um, I think we had some pretty nice things to say about this book last time, which is why I thought it would be interesting to revisit. This is uh, somebody on the outskirts who lives in the wastelands outside of Mega City One, uh, comes into the city, finds out that they are 
him and other people like him are being harvested. And that's where I pick up this issue. He continues to run very parallel to the storyline with Judge Dredd. Um, but I, I like this book. Like, I think I'm surprised how much I like this book because I'm not the hugest Judge Dredd fan. But I think it's doing a good job of channeling social commentary, storytelling, character along the way, even though you do have these two characters that really have not met yet at all. I feel like like, like a lot of a book we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, a Transformers book, and a lot of like books that have been around for a long time that maybe need a little reinvention. I think there's been a lot of smart takes, and this feels like right in that line where it's like, let's look at these characters from a different angle and find a new story here. Um, I don't know what, uh, so I like this. Um, it reminded me of a, a show called Exo Squad. You guys ever watch Exo Squad back in the day? No, I know, I've heard the name. Pete, no? Nothing, yeah, I don't know. Cartoon, uh, very cool. I don't What's know. it about? Help me out. Um, it's a lot of like, um, sort of pilots of these like mech suits, they have cool haircuts. Um, oh, and uh, there's a lot of good relationships in it. Uh, it was it was fun. Cool. Is in the well, world. Of, it was sort of in the style of Starcom. You ever watch that? No. Oh. Well, I guess maybe I grew up in a different multiverse. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> this does feel like stuff that is right across the plate for you, Pete. So I'm surprised you don't know it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I can't, you can't watch every cartoon. I guess. Not but, true. Uh, yeah, I would like to try. I would like to try. Um, yeah, I just. I, I just want this to kind of get going. I thought this was a really cool comic. I do like this, but uh, I wanted the kind of main characters to kind of come together a little bit. It seemed a little too side story, but I really uh, think it's very cool. Art's great. Uh, let's move on to something that was a huge surprise for me in a very pleasant way. Wonder Woman number 760 from DC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Mikkel Janine. This is, uh, so Wonder Woman is at least initially going up against Maxwell Lord, thinks Maxwell mm. Lord is brainwashing a bunch of people in the city. By the end, things seem to be going in a very different direction. Mariko Tabaki is I mean, on such a roll uh, yeah. just with writing, with her storytelling, with everything that's going on. This is one of the better Wonder Woman arcs I think I've read in a very long time. I love that it's not uh, mining the Greek god stuff anymore or anything like that, but it still feels very emotionally grounded. And man, Mikkel Janine's art is Ugh, gorgeous. So good. Yeah. The art is and so good in this. How about that cute rabbit? I mean, damn. Yes. Yes. Oh, Mulaney. Mulaney the rabbit, yeah. I believe is the name. Yeah. yeah. I also yeah. want to call out the cover, which is one oh, of the that best was, yeah. covers I've seen in a really long time. Yeah. Just Wonder Woman, like kind of talking shit to robots. I loved it. Well, what I like about um, a lot with this and a lot of Mariko Tamaki's work is rather than I feel like there's such a trend in trying to scoop up every aspect of a character's and trying to like mash it up and be like, this is what it all means. And I think that's just such it's so much work when this is just a great story that is like scooping up some aspects and being like, here are the things about Wonder Woman I want to talk about. And telling that story, and I think this is great. If you're a fan of Alias, um, the Bendis book from back in the day, the Jessica Jones character, um, I feel yeah. like there's a there's a connection point there, especially with uh, the Purple Man stuff in this book. 
Yeah, yeah, you got the creepy mind control guy. But, yeah, I really think the art's great. The, you know, we get the parademons. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, but, yeah, the writing is the real hero. This is uh, very interesting. I'm excited to see where this goes. Let's move on to a new book from Image Comics, Big Girls, number one, story and art by Jason Howard. Uh, this is about a world where children, some children, are growing to gigantic size. Yeah. Men grow into monsters. Women usually grow into gigantic helpful people. Uh, there's one... <laughs> Gigantic. Such a true statement. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, gigantic yeah. helpful woman who is trying to hold back the monsters, and that's basically what you get in the first issue, as well as some moral quandaries. Um, I had some. I overall like this, but had some concerns about it. Curious to hear what you guys think, though. Yeah, there was a kind of real fucked up moment in the book. Yes, that I was like, yeah, I don't know if you can come back from that, but uh, it's it's a fun premise. It's cool. The art's great. I'm excited to see where this goes, but uh, it's it's an interesting enough story that I'm definitely going to pick up the next issue. Yeah, I agree with that. It felt like, um, of all the comics we read, it's like so much, it's so hard to have a premise that feels super fresh and then executing it in a way that uh, invites you in with the characters. And I think this book does a good job of that. And it's a fun, surprising idea. And it's such a visual um, idea that I think yeah. is well done. And the emotional hit that uh, I guess we're not spoiling, it, it was sort of harsh. Uh, yeah. Especially the, the way the way the story was told where the that harsh moment happened and then the reason why it happened came after, which yeah. I think was smart from a storytelling perspective, but uh, a little more difficult to read. Yeah, I'm it was curious, tough on the reader. I'm curious to see where they go with this one because my big concern about it was I love the idea that uh, men grow up to be monsters women uh, are the only people who can protect us. Like there's so much metaphor that you can mine there. And I think it hasn't quite gotten there yet. And it also muddies the ground a lot with the reveal at the end of the issue, which again, I won't spoil here. Um, So it's going to be interesting to say what Jason Howard has to say with this comic and how he says it, uh, particularly because he is a man saying something about misogyny. Um, So, I don't know. There's a lot of opportunity with this book, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. Jason Howard's art, always very good. Um, but again, yeah. I'm, I'm a little concerned slash nervous about what direction it might head in. I really thought you were going to say uh, earlier on uh, was that you were going to say, uh, oh, it's like men are from Mars. And women, <laughs> they're from Venus. So Yeah, have you thought about that? Have you thought about it? Immortal Hulk number 36 from Marvel written by Al Ewing and art by Joe Bennett. <laughs> man, this book is fucked up, man. Oh my yeah. god. Uh it's fucked up. Uh so Hulk I, I, is now dumb Hulk and Rick is evil uh, and turned into a horrible monster and uh absorbing I, I man can't. is getting ripped into pieces and the horrible things are happening all the time. <laughs> I can't I can't take this anymore. I <laughs> I'm 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 tapping out. I I want my Hulk back. I can't. This was cool for a little while, guys, but it's getting weird now. It's getting real weird now, guys. I still love this book. I'm very excited for the uh, storyline coming with the leader. Uh, I feel like we're leading up to. Yeah. Um, but 
Well, I think the leader is inside of Rick, right? Like, yeah, but it's like the trap hasn't been fully sprung. I feel like Um, okay. uh, But I also think another title for this book would be "Everybody's Clayface." Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. (laughs) And to Pete's point, how does Hulk come back from this and go back to being just a regular old dude? I just yeah, I can't. I can't anymore. I feel like they're already doing it, though, right? Like, there was no way they were going to keep Hulk out of crossovers and showing up in other books. I wish they had. I wish they could kept it in this own pocket thing. But they've already had him show up and be like, yeah, I'm the asshole Hulk. Let me help you. And it, (laughs) it just doesn't quite work at all. But to your point, Justin, like, particularly Joe Bennett's art is... Insane. The uh, splash page towards the beginning that reveals the twisted, monstrous Rick is nightmarish. Like, like literally out of a nightmare. And it's amazing. It's great stuff. Yeah. It's too much. Stealth number four from Image Comics. gone too far. (laughs) Stealth number four from Image Comics written by Mike Costa and art by Nate Belgard. I don't know why I can't pronounce that name. Uh, So this is starting to wrap up this story about a man who has this powerful, like, Darkhawk-esque armor, the stealth armor. He is suffering from dementia. It may be because of the armor. It may be not. His son is trying to track him down and save him slash help him slash stop him. Meanwhile, there's a two-face... Uh, half-faced, I guess, gangster. Half-a-face. Yeah. Half-a-face who's trying to kill him. Uh, this book is so good, and particularly Nate Belgard's pacing yeah. vacillates yeah. between, like, amazing action and hilarious moments, particularly in this issue, that are wonderful. And just, yeah. there's a couple oh, panels. Um, this uh, guy gets shot sort of halfway, or maybe in the two-thirds of the way through the book, oh, and it's God. just... It's so surprisingly done that I it really sticks with you. A lot of the angles that uh, that he chooses to um, to draw the characters from are so good. Like it's just a great book. Yeah, it's really awesome, and uh, there's some real cool fight sequence stuff. Like one, this one guy gets like his leg kicked in. That was really brutal. But also, what is tough for me is you see a sweet white Lincoln. Get destroyed, and that was that was tough. That was tough to watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a great book. Uh, fun design on the villain. Like this is, it keeps getting more and more interesting. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very very much enjoying this book. Great stuff. Amazing Spider-Man number forty-six from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer and art by Marcelo Ferreira. This is continuing the Sins Rising storyline where the Sin Eater is back. Turns out the Sin Eater is maybe not exactly what you think he is. And he is attacking villains. And in this issue, maybe making them better, maybe making them worse. Not entirely clear. Justin, you were very excited about this issue. Talk about it a little bit. Uh, I just I can't believe the turn that Nick Spencer's taken this book on after doing such a lighthearted Spider-Man. And then now the Sin Eater story, the setup issues and then getting here. It's like so much more topical, so much more like uh, satirical. And it's just there are these panels where um, Sin Eater uh, kills this villain. And then we get this moment where the crowd starts clapping and it just it was devastating. And it felt like. It just, it activated all of my stress about our world uh, in a way. 
And uh, Pete, to you, I don't know what you think about this, but it feels like an indictment of the Punisher and that whole uh, his yeah, whole yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're like they're you know basically booing people who clap at violence. You know what I mean? Where you know, but it's it's also tough because it's like. There's violence in comics and there's real life, but this is supposedly real life. And they're saying that like people would enjoy killing in real life, which is, you know, I, I don't think if you like the Punisher, that's not what you're saying in life. I mean, there might be people out there like that, but I think it's a it's nice to have a person like the Punisher fighting uh, a, a good fight, uh, you know, and instead of like going through things in a normal way, it's a creative outlet for things in your anger where this is saying people are too dark. People are too fucked up. The world's too fucked up. And this is very depressing. I, I'm very surprised that you like this issue. This was my least favorite. You got Spider-Man kind of shaken to his core being like, I can't believe everybody clapped. What kind of world is this? I don't feel like the clip quippy self happy go lucky Spider-Man and it's uh, it's kind of like the darkness of the world is affecting Spider-Man here. I love that, though. I think that is what it feels like Nick Spencer is channeling the world around him and being like, this world feels darker than I ever thought it was. And Spider-Man doesn't have a place in that world, in this world. And he's showing that in this story. And using the Sin Eater as a way of talking about that, I think, is just so smart. And it's really I really love this story. It's definitely very surprising and going in different directions. Let's move on and talk about Transformers Galaxies number eight from IDW, written by Sam Maggs, art by Beth McGuire Smith and Umi Miao. Uh, this is something that I think we were very surprised about. The last issue is about a young Transformer on a ship that is escaping from Cybertron. Turns out things are not exactly what they seem. This picks up this issue uh, where he, he, she, I don't know. Ro- yeah, um, yeah. It's a robot. Uh, has, uh, robot has met up with <laughs> RC and Greenlight, two of the Transformers, who have revealed the truth about what's going on. Uh, and of course, everybody is being brainwashed. They're trying to. They're the baddies. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's kind of what it follows. Another really good issue of this title, just because it grounds the emotion of the Transformers, which I am very impressed by. Yeah, I agree. I I love this. Um, this feels like a Twilight Zone or a Black Mirror version of a Transformer story. Um, it's tense. It's sort of stressful. It gets into like philosophy, religion, and it's just really well done. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's cool to kind of see these uh, characters kind of find this information, struggle with it, and stuff. I I, I think it's is a it's hard because I keep wanting there to be more Transformers that I know, you know? I mean, they talk about Cybertron and all that kind of stuff, and Primus. But, like, I keep wanting to see, you know, like, a different, uh, you know, Transformers that I know from the 80s and from the cartoons and stuff like that. So, but the fact that they're telling this kind of more original story is very cool. You want them to turn into cars, no, I just want, like, you know, Razorbeak to be in the background spying on them or, you know, something else. You know, Would just... you say there's more There's more than meets the eye here? Uh, yeah, there is more. One, One more question. I... One more... Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You, no, you no, go please. Out. I want to hear your question, Justin. No, this is definitely unrelated. <laughs> uh, my question is also unrelated. So you go Okay, ahead. great. Well, then let me ask you, uh, Pete, as a pizza priest, 
Are you yeah. are you marrying slices back together, or um, how does that work? Do you, are uh, you a priest to slices of pizza, or are you bringing the good word of pizza to the people? Uh, I'm doing both. Uh, you know, I am bringing slices together. Um, I am also, um, you know, trying to make sure that people know uh, about the good pizza and, uh, you know, are partaking in some good pizza. Do you ever take two slices of pizza and uh, hold one on each hand and say, I now pronounce you, and then slap them together and say, Calzone! <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do that. Oh, okay. That's sacrilege. Got you. Back to the Transformers book. The main thing that I was thinking about the entire issue, do Transformers kiss? And when they kiss, does it sound terrible? Mm. Like, because they're too, like... Metal and metal. metal, metal. Yeah, like two cars smashing into Yeah, but it doesn't sound um, bad to them. Right, but would it sound bad to us humans? Yes, yeah, sure. Like in, uh, when cars kiss, we call it a, an accident. Yeah, it's loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Last book we're going to talk about, <laughs> Excellence, number nine from Image Comics, created and written by Brandon Thomas, created in art by Carrie Randolph. Uh, I know we have talked about every issue of this book, but every issue of this book is absolutely insane. Oh my God. So good. So good. Uh, this issue, we have our main character who has been trying to start a magic revolution, travels to a library to gather information and finds out he is way out of his depth. He is doing this way too soon, but now it is too late because he has already started the revolution. God, I love how direct every issue is in terms of the story it's telling. And also, of course, Carrie Randolph's art is out of control. It's bananas. The character designs are fantastic. It's got like an old school hip hop vibe to it. It's it's glorious. The panel work is uh, this is just such a fun book. Yeah, uh, this book, uh, if please, we talk about it so much. Please check this book out. Um, it is, I'm trying to think of, because the art isn't like reminiscent of a particular other style. It just encapsulates so much of just great comic book art from very still emotional panels to super dynamic action panels. It's just a, a real textbook on great comic book art uh, as on the writing and art side. There's a thing that happens. I mean, I'll spoil something that happens in the issue, but as he comes into the library, he sees a bunch of uh, grannies who are looking at him and you're like, that's weird. They never looked at me before. When he messes up, they all pop up and they're like, oh, that's it. You fucked up. We're taking you down, son. And there's a panel where it's just all three of them floating in the air about to attack him that I I think I shouted, oh, shit, out loud when I was reading it. It's great. The action in this book is great. It's so tense. It's so creative. Definitely pick it up. And that's it for the stack. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out to chat about comic books with us. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast. More at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Come chat with us. And that's it. We'll see you next time at the Virtual Comic Book Shop. I, I now pronounce you Pepperoni and Mushrooms. <laughs> it's a good combo. Join 